Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Everything Early Childhood. I am here today with the wonderful Barbara Clifford from the Kinwood Institute. Now, Barbara Clifford is known as the Time Tamer. She is a leading expert on time and stress management. She has 20 years of experience working in time-precious, stressful industries. Barbara assists people to unclutter mess, make order from the chaos and swap shackles of overwhelm for freedom. So welcome, Barbara. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, We're so excited. So you've recently come on our Directors Network group to share your amazing skills and talents and you just have a beautiful way of um, just simplifying things and defining stress. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this line of work um, and, yeah, what you're currently working on. Wow, that's that's an interesting (laughs) question. So most people are surprised to find out that my background is in the film and television industry. So I actually started my career when I was 15 working on hosting a children's television program. And I worked relentlessly to pursue a career in that industry. I worked really, really hard. And I grew up in a country town in a remote area of Western Australia. And I was the fifth generation of a farming family. Like my destiny was pretty much predetermined. I was going to be a farm girl. But when my parents separated, all of these opportunities presented themselves like hosting the children's television program. And so I just kept going, what if and what if and what if? And I ended up uh, when I was 17, I moved to Melbourne to pursue the opportunity to go to work in the film industry and to train in the film industry and back then there was only two really big film schools that you could get into uh, that would set you up in a career and it took me three goes to actually get into that and it was highly competitive like a thousand people would apply each year to get into this film school and that except 15 so it was an incredible thing to to actually get into that career and to get that training and I did that for 20 years and this is the the stressful and time precious industries that I worked in right I worked in filmmaking and I say to people as a filmmaker I'm an absolutely brilliant waitress because that's what I was doing as well to supplement that career so I was working in in the film industry I was working in hospitality worked in some incredible five-star restaurants And this is where I was serving high court judges and politicians and really, really important people. And you can imagine they don't take no for an answer. When they say the customer is always right in hospitality, my goodness, these people are always right. (laughs) So I had to be spot on with my organisation, my time management, my efficiency, managing in the moment. And there came a point in my career where I went, this doesn't feed my soul anymore. This isn't, there's, there are ulterior motives for why I've pursued this. And, and I had a big shift in my life. And then it was where I really question, what do I place value on? What is, wh- where am I inspired? What am I destined to do? And it's at that point that I was able to look back on my career and go, well, there's some common threads here. I actually did some testing, some value testing, and I was really surprised to see that the common thread through my whole career was about creative ways of solving problems, of making sense of things, of creating order out of chaos, of of getting organized. And to me, it came naturally. And I just thought, well, everybody can do it. But, Mm. and most of us are like that with our careers and our industries and the things we do. We go, that's nothing. Anybody can do that. Well, no, not everybody can do that. And because you love it, because you're good at it, um, you are an expert in that thing. So that's how I got into this space is that there was a point in my life where I went, 
what are the things that I'm good at? What is it that I specialize in and what do I value? And how do I build a career around that? And how do I share that wisdom with other people? So yeah, that's that's how I got into that field and and basically just dis- discovered those talents. And it was just this common thread through everything that I did. And people would push me into certain roles within those industries. Um and I would deny it because they go, oh, no, I want to be this thing. I want to mm. be this, this, this persona, but I'm actually designed and gifted and, and best suited to some of these other, the, these other areas. Isn't it so funny, like when we stop and pause and really ref- take that time to reflect? And I love the questions you asked yourself around, like what value, what inspires you and what are you destined to do? And I think that there comes a point in life where you need to ask yourself those questions and how much joy and how much contribution are you giving to others? Yes, and it's when... When people come into conflict, so when there are, so obviously I specialise in the time management, stress Mm. management, but what comes under that banner as well as things around communication and confidence and all of those things. And typically what I see is when people are stressed, it's because there are things that are coming into conflict. So um, it can be that what they place value on and what's important to them is not fulfilled in the work or the environment that they're doing. And it's that round peg in a round hole kind of story. You're pushing yourself to be something you're not Mm. because of somebody else's expectations. And especially in the field, the people that that you work with and the people that will be listening to this podcast is that, you're thinking about what's intrinsic to the company or the business that you work for. What do we hand on heart? What do we stand for? What do we represent? What are we about here? And if those things don't align with who you are, then there's conflict and tension. You're you're trying to be something you're not for the work that you're doing. And that's that's hard. That's really hard. And it is like that because we really um, hone in on the point that every single company that you work for or organisation has a different philosophy and you need to find the one that resonates with you and your heart and your soul. Yes, and it even comes down to from a time management point of view, people get really, they beat themselves up and get really upset because they're just not disciplined enough. And that's what's drummed into us about procrastination is it comes down to self-discipline. And I think that you just set yourself up for failure if you just focus on the discipline side of things because it's forcing yourself. It's like saying, I just need to eat Brussels sprouts. I just need to force myself to eat them and get it done. But if you don't (laughs) like Brussels sprouts, you don't like Brussels sprouts, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what should we do? Like, yeah. What, how do we get motivated? What should we do? So the key to that is procrastination is about choosing to do the things that give you pleasure or are more rewarding over something that, that isn't. So I sit down to do something. I sit down, if I use the Brussels sprouts analogy, right? (laughs) I sit down to eat the Brussels sprouts analogy and I I sit down to eat the Brussels sprouts and I go, yeah, actually, I don't want to eat those right now. I'll just eat that ice cream over there because I like ice cream. And then I'll come back to the Brussels sprouts. And what, you know, you never eat them because you don't like them. So the key is to be able to recognize what are the things that you place value on? which is what we're talking about before. What is it that inspires you? What is just intrinsic to who you are? Because because rest assured, any work you need to do, um, you'll go and choose to do that work that has in it the things that you place value on and you enjoy. So to give you an example, I'm a very detailed orientated person. I love the details and things. I love solving problems. And so I will choose to do those tasks over, let's say, doing the follow-up calls for the leads (laughs) in my business, right? I'll get them alphabetized and color-coded and everything (laughs) first and then I'll I'll go and call them. But that's not necessarily, that's me procrastinating because I'm finding a way to do the thing that rewards me and fulfills me over the thing I actually have to be doing. So the key to this is to be really honest with yourself about what floats your boat not what should float your boat but what really does 
And I think a trap for women, for example, is uh, let's say working in the in the early childhood development area, you go, oh, the children come first. The children, I love children and it's all about children. And parents can say the same thing. But it could be, well, actually, I love doing finances. So to celebrate that thing that you love and find a way to, to have that exist in the work that you do. So for me, being hyper-organised, for example, and enjoying things being organised, that's when I have a great relationship with my kids. So being a mum is not my biggest, my highest value. Yes, it's something I should value and I place value on and it's important. But in terms of what I value in terms of who I am and what I'm doing, it's not just about being a mum. I love being organised and teaching other people how to be organised and eliminating chaos. And so I have a great relationship with my children when we get to do those things together. Mm. (laughs) And are they similar to you? Do they have similar values or they're completely opposite? (laughs) Well, there's a there's a really interesting guy by the name of Dr. John D. Martini who has a really interesting theory on this. And he says that we bring into our world the the thing that we are that we place value on is an insatiable hunger that's never satisfied. Mm. So we constantly seek that out to be fulfilled in it. We just constantly want it and seek it out. And it's something that is absent in us or constantly you know, the bucket is always empty. We want to, want to keep filling it up. Mm. We love it. We want more, 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 more. And so the theory is that we attract and build into our world um, somebody who fulfills that. So, for example, our, our children and our spouse are likely to be like a yin and yang. Mm. They fulfill that. So it's not their passion. Um, they, they, for example, they will be... Um, not interested in that because I fulfill that. I fill that gap for them. Yeah, that's so interesting. So they have no desire. They don't have an insatiable hunger for it because I've satisfied that for them. Their hunger will be something different. Mm, I love that, that yin and yang. And what I think yeah. is really interesting is that early childhood um, attracts so many different people with different values. And it's such a career and such a sector that you can really fulfill every single value that you have within you, whether it's creativity, whether it's just playing and having fun and bringing out that inner child, um, whether it's sorting and organization, there's lots of that. Um, but yeah, it does, it allows um, for that to, or for you to have opportunities to fulfill those desires but my question for you Barbara is how do you identify how do you go about identifying what that value is to you so the the trick there's a lot of there's a lot of signs out there that we miss and we ignore and it's it's almost like it's a hidden side to ourselves because it's there all the time we don't see it it's like an undercurrent. And so when I do the, this work with people to get really, really clear on that, I will ask them questions like, what are things that you inevitably end up talking about when you're at a party or a barbecue? When you get distracted in social media or I say, I give the example of you're sitting in the doctor's waiting room and there's a bunch of magazines, you're bored to tears uh, which magazine do you pick up and what article grabs your attention? And, and so when the doctor calls you and you go, oh, damn it, I haven't finished that. I was really, really into that. Out of all the stuff that when it's laid out in front of you, what, what things do you choose? And people inevitably will say to me the things they think they should be saying rather than being really, really truthful. And it's where you just have to go, oh, if I'm really honest with you, Barbara, I just love, like I say, for example, I love watching America's Next Top Model or some of those really not very intelligent programs, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, Barbara, you're more intelligent than that. Um, but for me, it's it's about seeing people being in control of their own space, controlling the way things look, um, but it's also creative. Um, and it's also putting people into a pressure cooker situation, seeing how they negotiate, how they respond, what creates tension. So it's a great social observation. They're all the things I value, right? So that's why that's a signal to tell me what it is that I place value on. So it's being looking at the things that capture your attention. Where do you, what, what, what do you, what are you doing when you procrastinate? What do you end up talking to people about? 
the inane things that you end up talking about. Um, what uh, what are some of the other things? Like what are you, what's on social media? What are the things that typically come up in your social media feed? You see lots of different things. I've introduced a friend to TikTok. I love TikTok. <laughs> and she was laughing and saying, oh, have you been seeing all of this stuff? There's so much of it. And I go, no. I'm not seeing that because I'm not interested in that. You're interested in that It's so clever, isn't it? So clever, those algorithms. Yeah. And so that's a really, that tells you a lot about some of the things that you might place value on that you're not aware of. Yeah. I I obviously highly value dog farts and um, cats. (laughs) We all need humour. We all need that (laughs) humour. Love it, love it. And next top model, I love that, that that's your um, drama binging. For me, it's below deck. I love just seeing how all the teams, yeah, I love to see how all the teams work together and just throwing people in a boat. They have to live and work together and just seeing how they communicate and make that happen. Yeah, and so um, where that's really powerful in terms of the the early childhood work is that you might be driven to want to try and do something with your team or with the kids, Mm. but that's because you love it. They could be bored to tears with that kind of work or or frustrated or irritated or unmotivated. And you go, what's wrong with them? Why? This is the main thing. We should be doing this. But it's because you value it. They don't. You get joy and pleasure and reward from it. They don't. And so when you can start to identify that, you can go, oh, this isn't my thing, but I will do it because I know they really enjoy it and they get great pleasure out of it. And I'm sure with kids where they're doing things over (laughs) and over and you're going, yeah, that's great. Let's do it again. (laughs) Well, we're so good at really getting to know each individual child and really planning for them based around all of their interests and their skills. Um, I think that as leaders, we need to move that into our leadership capabilities with our team and really getting to know, identifying um, each individual human in our team. Um, so how do we go about once you've sort of identified that how can we use that in our practice as leaders with our team so uh the the interesting thing about leadership is again some of the stuff that you apply exactly what you've said in terms of what you apply with your kids so you know when I'm doing leadership training I'll often ask in the room how many people are parents in the room and I'll say well congratulations you're already a leader And sometimes some of the things that you practically do with kids, you apply in the working environment as well. So to give you an example, um, and this is the example I'd use in this training, is my son's trying to learn how to do up his shoelaces. And if we're running out the door, there might be times where I go, look, let me just do it. We've got to get out. Let me just quickly tie up your shoelace and let's go. But what I, that doesn't set him up for success and it doesn't set me up for autonomy from him. So um, what what I need to do is you have a go. When you get stuck, come back to me and I'll help you and I'll help you at that point where you get stuck so that he can develop skill and potentially develop a better technique than mine to do up his shoelaces, right? So we want to apply the same kind of analogy with our team is going have a go this is a safe place to make a mistake. When you get stuck, then come to me. That's an example of a leadership principle that you would apply. So the key is to be able to, there's many, there's so much, leadership's a big topic, Mm, it's huge. mm. But the key is to be able to identify strengths and weaknesses, even your own weaknesses, um, and where you might be challenged, where you might be confronted, where you're going to be triggered in situations and vice versa what it is that somebody else places value on. And this is where as a leader, you have to be a step ahead. So you have to really constantly develop your skills and emotional intelligence. Going, I know how I'm feeling. How is that other person feeling? Um, what, what What might impact on that? in terms of frustration, procrastination and all of those kind of things. Oh, and Um, we had, we just recently had an episode with Stephanie um, Pinto around emotional intelligence and that first, before we go into any conversation, we need to check in with self. Yeah, that's right. How am I feeling? Mm. Where can I have bias? Um, What could be impacting upon on on how I'm communicating with another person? I'll give you an example too in in relation to stress management. When I first 
started my business and started the learning about stress, I had my family telling me I was stressed. I'm going, no, I'm not. I'm fine. I'm fine. Great, yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> um, but uh, they were seeing the signs. But because I wasn't, I didn't have chronic fatigue, I wasn't having, bursting into tears and having meltdowns. I, you know, I wasn't collapsing in a heap. I was like, well, I'm not stressed. I haven't burnt out yet. Mm. But what some of the signs and symptoms were that I was stressed was things like work was getting the best of me, home was getting the worst of me. My patience and tolerance was limited. Um, My patience and tolerance with my family, it had basically been exhausted at work. So there was none left when I came home. And so I'd have a, they used to call me hurricane mum, like a hurricane mum side. (laughs) Because I rewound up. Mm. Um, and is that when you found that those values and things would just kick into overdrive because you would just focus, focus, focus on that control? Totally. And so this is the key, right, to be able to go, this is me, this is intrinsically me, I need to let it go as hard as it is mm. to let that go. And there's some great books that help with understanding this process um, five love languages is a great one. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you can apply with that with kids as well. Uh, yeah. There also, is a version for five love languages for kids. Yeah. Mm. And there's also one for, I don't know if I've got the, the book around me, but there's one also done for the workplace. It's called mm. five languages of appreciation in the workplace. Same Gary Chapman's the author, same one. And that's um, beautiful because also- I always wonder how <laughs> how to relay like physical contact <laughs> to the yeah, workplace. It's, it's just closeness. Yeah. Um, but it can also be just um, normally the space between your elbow and shoulder on the back is a space that most people won't feel uh, invaded or imposed upon. So you can just touch someone lightly and say, how are you going today? Um, mm. Great job or any of those things. And most people won't be too impacted or feel like you've invaded their personal space mm. um, or feel that it's um, um, sexual misconduct. It's it's a generally speaking, it's a fairly neutral zone and safe space. There's no fat too for people to feel there really. <laughs> You know, <laughs> they can't feel it at that point. Yeah. So you're not going, oh, don't touch me there. Mm. Um, so, and another book is, um, oh, it's just slipped my mind. It's Flo- um, it's by Florence Littier and it is called um, Personality Plus. I had to oh, to Personality it. Plus. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one too. I'm, I, I know books. I just don't know who writes them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were the opposite. Yeah. Uh so she um and that's a really good one for understanding personality traits and uh and where what's what's intrinsically you. Like I've got this my family's got this great saying, everybody else is nuts. Are we the only people that are sane? Like everybody else is mad. And that's how it feels sometimes. It's like, am I the only person? It's just that you you only see the world through your perception Mm. um can't see it so those kind of things really help you to to self-identify going this is this is my disposition but it's not theirs so I need to adapt um my behavior my approach my style in terms of leading a team to accommodate how people are different another one that you can do there's plenty of resources out there and I'm sure a lot of the educators will be familiar is the learning styles so are people visual, kinesthetic or auditory? Um, and that's really important. If I constantly, a common thing that I will hear leaders say is I've told them over and over and over and they just don't get it. Mm. And that's an alarm bell for me. It's be, it's not that they can't, it's not that they don't want to learn. It's they can't, they're not hearing what you're saying. Mm. The message is getting through. So you need to change how you're delivering the information because it's not being translated. And again, Barbara, like this is something we do so well with children every single day, you know, incorporating those um, seven multiple intelligences, but are we incorporating it with our team? Yeah, exactly. Everybody has a style for how they like to learn and receive information. Everybody has a style for how they like to work. Some people are really talkative. Some people are sit in a corner and give them the detail um, and they'll 
they'll unpack and do things. Mm. Um, so rather than getting frustrated, go identify that that's innately who people are and use that to your benefit rather than trying to force them to fit into a square hole. Yeah, 100%. I love that. And so you mentioned before about those those triggers or those um, – because I guess the two things that are um, relevant in our sector right now, everyone's talking a lot about burnout, a lot about stress. Um, and then the other one is obviously time management. So having a shortage of team members, um, we're always, you know, trying to maximise that time. So with stress and burnout, like what's the cause of burnout? You talked previously about the conflict between your values, um, but how can we identify burnout and how would you define that and what can we do about it? Um, burnout is typically that there is a, a number of symptoms that you will see when you get to burnout. And so one of those things can be where you just don't care anymore. You've just empathetic burnout, for example. So it's really hard, especially in your sector, to care about the kids, to care about those things because you just don't have it in you anymore. There's no resource left. Um, burnout can mean that the, you can also lose your concentration, um, unable to read things, retain things, hold information. Uh, constant exhaustion, obviously, is a really, really common one where you're just really, really exhausted all the time. So the, the interesting thing, there was a great series done on the Insight program on SPS about burnout. And one of the things that was common with all of those people is recovery time. So burnout typically occurs when there's no time to go down and then back up again. Mm. If you think about burnout, when, a, when an engine burns out, it's whirring all the time until it just burns out. So uh, it is about having, having the down and recovery time that helps to, to build people back up again. And so, the, yeah, where you can see that in your sector is where people are working long hours, long days, and then really, really busy down to weekends and things like that as well. Yeah. So the things, part of the prevention of burnout is being able to identify signs and symptoms of stress. And um, unfortunately, it's different for everyone. Mm. So what causes you stress could be different to what causes me stress. And then how it manifests in us can be completely different. So physical things can be, I get a tightness of, in my chest, my muscles in my chest seem to, to muscular um, tension is a really common one. People get headaches, tight shoulders. That's a common response. Some other things that people might get is sweaty palms, um, the jitters, high levels of anxiety. Uh, some, sometimes people binge eat. Some people lose their appetite. There's a whole range of things that can manifest in terms of knowing when we're, we're stressed. And it's their little alarms that are saying, look out. I know for me, when I'm stressed, for example, as I mentioned before, I'll become more impatient. If I start to lose my, if I get frustrated easily with people um, and I lose my tolerance. Uh, another one is when I dream that I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wow. Um, so I wake up and I go, oh, gee, that was hard work. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're ready to start your day to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a real that's a real alarm bell for me that I'm ignoring the signs of stress. Um, and increased levels of anxiety for me is another one. Uh, not being waking up and still feeling tired is can be another one, mm. a common one. And what should we do about it? So we have all these, you know, alarm bells, you know, what what can we do about it in those moments? So it may not be um, viable to have, you know, that recovery time and have that big length and period to recover. But what are some other strategies that we can implement? One of the most, the simplest ones, I mean, there's a whole range of tools and strategies. There's things we can do in the moment, but there's also the long-term prevention. Mm. Um, so some things that you can do, obviously having really, really good sleep, is, is going to help. So making sure that you, it takes two hours for our body to get into a sleep state typically. Melatonin is the hormone that we need um, to, to, that helps us go into a good, healthy recovery sleep. 
And melatonin is triggered by an optic receptor that's in our eyes. That's what will trigger melatonin. And because we are a species that we're not a nocturnal species, we're a daytime species that's meant to hunt and harvest during the day. And when the sun goes down, that is when it is time for our body. That's the signal for our body to sleep. And so the sky is blue. Typically there is blue light. And so our eyes are triggered by blue light. And when there is no blue light observed, then the melatonin will start to kick in. So this is why it's really important to not be on a blue screen mm. late at night on your phone or on a computer. Um, if you are going to be on your phone, like I love to unwind and watch things like TikTok or, <laughs> or Netflix. Those farting videos. <laughs> yeah. So um, I put on a, 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 a warm light. I get rid of the blue on my phone so that I don't have that blue light. I also have an alarm on my phone at night at nine o'clock that says stop. Just stop working, doing, being busy, start to wind down. So that's one thing that you can do. The other one that's really simple and so simple, so simple that people don't do it is regulate your breathing because what can what happens in controlling your breathing is that you release, um, your, you stimulate your vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is the nerve that sends signals up and down your body. It sends signals to all your vital organs. It gets your brain and your gut basically talking when we go into a stress response, those things don't talk to each other really, really well. And your body, we, we make silly mistakes and do silly things. So a stimulated vagus nerve helps to control the flight or flight response a little bit more. So slow breathing, slow, deep breathing will help um, the diaphragm will stimulate the vagus nerve and it helps control and regulate what's happening in your body. It sends a little bit of dopamine, which is the feel-good hormone, and reduces cortisol, which is the stress hormone that creates adrenaline and all of those things. It's why when you do meditation and slow breathing, you, you actually go, oh, now I feel really tired. Mm. You actually slow down. And I know you do it with kids, right? Mm. They're really hyped and angry if you can hold them and just slow down your breathing and it slows down their breathing and they regulate, they self-regulate a little better. So it's a really, really powerful tool. But because, yeah, I breathe, I breathe every day. So what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm actually a person who um, I'm a stress addict. I actually like being stressed. I love the wow. sensation. I love the adrenaline. I love being Like go, that go, speed, go. yeah. I love operating like that. So I have to work really hard to regulate myself. Wow. And actually it's funny you say that because I think in our sector and being a leader in our sector, I think that's common. Yeah. So I'm on, I, it's, it's a big joke. I'm on blood pressure medication, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, because I operate like that. Now I know that if I do exercise and if I regulate my breathing, I can drop, I can drop my blood pressure instantly just by controlling my breathing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the heart is contracting to push out more it's a flight or fight response right the heart contracts to push out more blood mm. um, and and activate the blood vessels to get adrenaline and glucose to your muscles to fight that predator that's about to jump out at you that's the flight or fight response mm. but it is oh my god I've got to get this budget in all oh, the kids we've got, got parents rocking up and we still haven't cleaned up the playroom and oh you know I've got a, a person on leave and I've, now these three other people want to leave they're all they're not predators, but they're stress. They're threats to our well-being, and it kicks in that flight or fight response. Yeah, yeah, and that's what our brain's picking up, and then that's our body. And I have this like question, and it's sort of like I've been, um, you know, with different um, guests and different speakers, and it's like, what do you think comes first, the body and the responses, or the brain telling the body to make those responses? Um, oh, gee, well, I'm not a neuroscientist, but based, <laughs> based on my reading, there, there are, there are all of the things, the signals that, that will happen mm. that trigger the brain to activate, which then fires off the, the physical responses. Mm. Yeah. Typically 
typically that's what's happening. There's a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is like, I say it's like a smoke alarm. It's mm. a very primal part of our brain. It's the first part of our brain as a species that developed. And But the thing is, it doesn't differentiate between a real or a perceived threat. And it's when the amygdala senses, when you tell it or it picks up that there's a threat to your well-being, it fires off all the hormonal responses, which create these sensations in your body. Yeah. Mm, so that's like my chicken, chicken and egg <laughs> question. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's fascinating. Yeah. But there can be, it can be all of the things that feed that information into the, to the amygdala. Yeah. And it's the amygdala's job to protect us, right? So it's that part of the brain that tells us whether, you know, fight, flight, freeze, or that we're going to be okay. That's right. I mean, that's why I say to me, the best analogy is a smoke alarm. A smoke alarm is in your house mm. to protect you, but sometimes you just burn toast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not a real threat. It's just burnt toast. Yeah. Stop. It's a drill. It's a drill. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so the good news is, is that um, this is what we're a unique species in the sense that how we think can actually override what's happening in our body mm. and actually so how we think can cause us to obviously get stressed and anxious and kick in those responses but the good news is that we can also use that in reverse to f- remove this the, the stresses and the sensations so we can actually use the developed part of our brain the prefrontal cortex to trick the amygdala to allow it to think that it's safe and it's okay and it's going to be all right. And there's really subtle things that we can do. I'll give you another example. This is my favourite one, is when you're really, really anxious and we're, we're anxious about something, typically we start to fret. And I like to think of it as as us imploding. We curl up and go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And there's so much stuff and I'm never going to get it done. And and we go inside ourselves and and worry. Is that like overwhelm? Um, yeah, mm. it can be the it can be the overwhelm, and we can self identify that we're anxious. We're anxious about can I get this done? Am I going to be able to cope? Am I going to look like an idiot? Am I am I going to look unprofessional? That's all the the anxious kind of thinking that we can have. The interesting thing about anxiety is that the sensation that we have in our body for anxiety, the way that the the brain interprets that experience is exactly the same or very similar to excitement. Mm. So um, the best way I can explain that to you is the experience on a roller coaster. It's a combination of the both is that we go, oh, my God, this is so much fun. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, this is so much fun. Oh, my God. That's why we people love roller coasters because it's a, it's, um, a constant flow of the same sensation in our body, but it's a mixture between anxiety and excitement. Mm. So how we can trick our brain is that when you're feeling anxious is to say over and over and out loud is great as well, is to say, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, which can sound crazy in those moments of anxiety. But what happens is the brain then seeks out evidence for why it's true. Well, why are you excited? What's there to be excited about? And what it then does is your brain actually seeks opportunity in that experience. It sees, it starts rather than imploding, it starts to look for an open gate. It goes, oh, there's a way out there or this could lead to this thing. This could create an opportunity. So to give you an example where I've applied this is a point in my business where cash flow was drying up and I'm getting really anxious about income. And when I started to say to myself over and over, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, I started to see where is the opportunity in this work not coming in? Now I can really develop some of these things I've been put on the back burner. And if I do this, this and this, I can actually launch them and get them happening and that's going to create revenue. Mm. So rather than going, oh, my God, what am I going to do? There's no business coming in. When I started thinking I'm excited, it started to open up my mind to opportunities I hadn't considered before. And isn't it funny, like they do say that like worry takes away from today. 
Whereas if we just put it in action, um, and I love that being able to tell your brain and being able to rewire your brain and send a different messages to reprogram. Yeah. And, and the evidence shows us that changing the way you think about the experience will change your body's response. One of the best um, examples of that uh, or research to look at the simple research, there's a TED talk by a person called Kelly McGonigal called Make Stress Your Friend. And she's a psychologist that used, she talks about, you know, at the beginning of a talk, she says, stress was always the enemy. Uh, stress is always the enemy for psychologists. But when she actually looked into the research about it, it was about how to actually transform your stress to serve you when it needs to mm. and be able to turn it off when you don't need it. And one of the, the research that she cites, one of the examples is where people changed the way that they thought about stress in the moment, actually put them into a state of courage and changed their whole body's response so that they were better able to act and be agile and be resilient in the moment. That's fascinating. <laughs> so yeah. just just by that messaging and what we're telling ourselves, we can have control over, I guess, that that action instead of that reaction. And we change it, we change the physical response. Like the blood, mm. blood vessels don't contract. So you're you're going, you see situations as an opportunity rather than a threat, essentially. But our body actually responds differently. So we don't have the adrenaline, we don't have the increased levels of cortisol. We have other hormones that are related to pleasure and and reward uh, simply by changing the way that we're thinking. Yeah, wow. And so for people like you, Barbara, um, and I, I used to be like this, not so much anymore, but that are addicted to that stress and are addicted to that high level of energy and um, go, 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 and they love it. They love the speed. They love getting it done. They're at home with their family and all they can think about is like what they're going to do tomorrow, how they can do this, what they need to reply to that email. You know what I'm talking about. Um, how what to do in that situation if it's not serving your life? So um, one of the things that I do with people and teach people is is a philosophy that, again, another great book is uh, Getting Things Done by David Allen. And he's a bit of a guru, one of the gurus in time management. And one of his philosophies is a time and place for everything. So basically, you're juggling all of these balls. You've got in, or got all of these things. Is creating systems for those things to be put away that you, you can trust that you're putting them somewhere and that they will come back at you at the right time. So rather than trying to juggle all of these balls, go, I'm going to put that ball over there, but it's going to come back to me mm. um, just when I, at the right time in order for me to get those things done. So rather than keeping everything in your brain and having all of these things in your space all your time, mentally, physically, what emotionally, is that you trust a system that you put in place so that things come back at you. So I also have to trust in the sense that if I don't stop at nine o'clock at night, I'm not going to be able to get to sleep until, you know, whenever. So mm. I have to in order for me to to look after myself I have to trust that things enough is done and that tomorrow I can start again trust my systems um, trust the process and you know um, things like exercise is not something that I that is on my high value list right mm. <laughs> it's not and I'm not alone there I hear you yeah yeah <laughs> not some I'm not one of those people that gets an absolute buzz from going to the gym and I do it because I know I need to not because I love to yeah and I feel good once I've done it. it's like yes I went to the gym you know? <laughs> I just wrote a post about it this morning actually because I've been really implementing walking every morning so I wake up I do a, um, a morning meditation and it's a beautiful way to start the day um, and then a walk but this morning I just wasn't motivated to go for the walk and so when I was walking I walked but then when I was walking I I was like, but why am I walking? And I find that when I'm limiting or lacking motivation, if I really focus on why I'm doing it, um, it just it overcomes any limits to motivation because that's – and I'm just the kind of person I need to know why for everything, but I think it really helps to um, have that motivation. 
So there's two things that you can do, and totally the the, the why is, is a good one, but when you can tie the why into the thing that you do place value on, mm. that's where you, you'll get even more motivated. So to give you an example, how I get motivated to go walking is I listen to podcasts on my walk around the things that I absolutely love, right? Yeah. So, um, so it can be about time management gurus or stress management gurus. So I start to look forward to the walk, not because of the walking, but mm. because that's my time to really invest in listening to those things where I'm, I'm too busy any other time to do it. So I start, you tie into the thing you don't want to do, the thing that you value. And if you can't, then the next best thing is to reward yourself with something that you do enjoy after you've pushed through the thing you don't. So going to the gym, for example, sometimes the reward for me would just be the beautiful shower that I would have and luxuriate afterwards or going and having um, a cappuccino and maybe not terrible foods, but going and having a really nice cappuccino afterwards and that's my reward and I'll go, yeah, after this I'm going to have a really lovely cappuccino. Yeah, it's worth it. Focus mm. on it. It's the the donkey and the carrot kind of scenario. Yeah, and that's so true. Now that I think about that, um, for my walk, it actually allows me. It's almost like a form of meditation for me because it's the only real time, like when I'm walking, that I'm um mindful in the moment, and I'm able to like I have so many ideas and things coming to me with how I can help other people. Well, they say I was reading some research about this the other day. Mm. Is that doing things that are uh, physical, like with your hands or your feet that are repetitive, uh, that don't require lots of cognitive process, allows your brain to go into that mindful state. And it's also where you have breakthroughs or problem solve things because you're not overloading cognitive process. Mm. You're doing doing mindless, I guess, activity. Yeah. Um, and it triggers that kind of response. And that's why when I studied meditation, meditation we used to do walking meditation so walking and swimming are actually forms of meditation because it's a repetitive process yeah that puts you into a, a mindful state yeah yeah it's so fascinating and I think that we don't take enough time as humans to get in that state and people think like I listen to Jay Shetty all the time and he talks about you know people think meditation is like you have to go to um, the ministry you have to sit there you have to meditate but literally if you just take one two three four five minutes out of your day just to sit and be and as you said Barbara breathe and slow down that breathing massive benefit and this is the thing, and this is what I'm teaching people. People, they burn themselves and then they'll go on a cruise or a retreat or they feel that um, stress management has to be going to yoga or meditating on a hill, but it can be five minutes, a routine of just taking five minutes. One of the techniques that I also implemented when I was really stressed, when I was that stressed mum, was what I call an anchoring technique because five minutes of breathing can really reduce your cortisol tech cortisol levels mm. so I would be the sort of mum that would rush in the morning to get myself and my kids ready rush to get them to school rush to get to work rush through work rush to get back for my lunch break rush to finish up because I have to get to the childcare center and or and not be find a, a you know, <laughs> late fee yeah, fee, yeah, yeah. which yeah. I know you all know about um, rush to get home and get dinner on, rush to get the kids sorted so that they get their homework and we get dinner and stuff done, rush to get everything done so that I can get them into bed. I'm rushing from moment to moment to moment wow. rather than changing my timing so that I can allow for five minutes of anchor. So when I get in the car, I go, right, the morning process is done. Now I'm in the car and I'm going to take the time that it's needed to get in the car. And then once I've dropped the kids off, just five minutes, we can all spare it, five minutes where I just stop and breathe and go, right, now I'm going to get to work. Mm. And at the end of the day, but when I finish the day at work, allowing for five minutes to just sit in my office chair, turn the computer off and just breathe slow controlled breathing and go the day has ended I'm anchoring it here now I'm getting in the car to go and pick up the kids 
And then when the kids are in the car and they're putting on their seatbelt and all of that stuff, just slowly, like the kids say, what are you doing, mum? Just getting myself ready, put the radio on, wind down the window and ease into it rather than rush, 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 rush. Mm. And that made a huge difference was to anchor each of those moments and allow just five minutes in the schedule, um, which at the end of the day is half an hour maybe. Yeah. extra time you know I'm sure we can all spare that to mm. just um rather than dragging the accumulated stress from each moment and so that you collapse at the end of the day and then you go oh where's the ice cream where's the wine <laughs> what a day yeah yeah yeah. yeah. And that Ooh, can be applied so much in in our life in early childhood because not only do we have our own lives, we're running a full routine with the children all day. And if we're rush, 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 and we don't take those, um, as you referred, anchor times throughout each day, you know, how are we? We have a, a saying here at Platinum Education, we talk about making every moment count. Yeah. But when we're just rushing from moment to moment to moment, how are you actually in that moment and how do you set yourself up for success in that next moment? Yeah, that's it. And so it's just allowing allowing the time that's needed. Like I used to, again, living in the city, I don't live in the city now, but driving on the freeway and mm. rushing to get somewhere. And I have to say in my mind, it's better to arrive alive yeah. than dead. So whatever time it takes to get there, just allowing the time sometimes for those things and giving into that time oh. and being present to that. Barbara, people think I'm insane, right? So we're in Sydney. We deal with that traffic and my um, my family, they've migrated up to like um, near Byron Bay, like in, in rural or regional, and um, they – can't handle traffic I love traffic can I tell you how much I love just being in the car being in my own space having my podcast on or just sitting there in silence um, and just being yeah would you know one of the things that I used to do in the car was oms you know what oms are is that like chants yeah (laughs) Yeah, okay now the interesting thing about oms Mm. is the sound om is that um, you when you make that sound, the sound actually moves through your body. So you know how you can sometimes make a, I can do a oh sound, that's right down in my chest. Mm. And if I go mmm with and make a mmm sound, it's up in my nose, right? Mm-hmm. So how oms, if you do a really slow om, you're changing where the vibration is in your body. And the theory is that it moves through all your chakras, right? Yeah, right. So I used to do, because in a car, no one can hear you. Yeah, they just think you're singing along to the radio. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So I would do really loud and long oms in my car and I'd feel so good when I'd get to my destination. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Like we should almost put that out as a post. Like what do you do when you sit in traffic? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But but our bodies are just made up of that energy, like scientifically speaking. So that sound and that vibrational energy going through our body is going to release so many different things. Yeah, that's right. And so you can, like opera singers that that have been able to break glass crystal Mm. with, with the frequency. I mean, I used to, when I was studying performance, um, I used to get my sinuses would crack sometimes and crackle with just that, that vibration. And again, with this, when I'm stressed, I sometimes throat speak, right? Mm. So we hold all that energy there yeah so you can they say you can hold when you're stressed hold energy in different parts of your body like I said to you I know I'm stressed because I get really tight I'm like when I was really stressed I thought I was having a heart attack yeah because the muscles were so contracted in my chest I thought I was having a heart attack I was just stressed. Yeah. Really, really stressed. So fascinating. Well, what I've been seeing is that people are identifying these um, stress triggers or alarms and what they're doing is they're making these really massive life decisions. So, you know, they're like, oh, I have to change something. So they've not been able to control anything for so long with obviously their pandemic. So they're now like, well, I need to take control of my life. So I need to make this big change. I need to resign from my job. I need to move to the country. I need you know, rather than what can they do instead of like to actually identify what is causing the stress? 
It's a really, really good question. And it's a good point. Like I was saying to you before, people will burn themselves and then go on a cruise, mm. right? Um, and then they'll go back into that state rather than creating regulation and control. So um, if you can if you can identify the warning signs, then you start to create, this is where you do have those disciplines about some self-regulation. So uh, how much sleep, how much exercise, controlling the alcohol, the sugar and those kind of things because they all impact having the rest and downtime and being able to, to schedule that. So that's where you do need to create some of that, that discipline. The other thing that's really important to this is about what you say no to. Um, there was a great article that was out on, I think it was in Sydney Morning Herald or The Age, one of the big newspapers about, and it's not, an, it's not a new theory, but about having a to don't list. Yes. So not a to mm. do list, but the things that you say no to. And one of my favourite sayings is the power of your yes and what you actually will say yes to comes down to what you say no to. So it's getting clear about what you won't be doing and what doesn't bring you joy and what is not useful. Uh, so as you're familiar, Lisa, with the, the 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 training I've done with with you before is about having that the prioritization about what's going to create the biggest result and impact for the least amount of effort. And so sometimes it's about letting go of those those things that consume so much energy, but at the end of the day don't achieve much. And so it's those kind of things, strategies to be able to put out the fire. When So when there's stress fires and stress storms, as we call them, mm-hmm. how to manage in that moment. But then what do you do to prevent those, those embers igniting, which can be around prioritisation, energy management, um, routines. It can be those kind of things that you can implement so that you don't get to that snapping point where you go, that's it, I quit. <laughs> I've had enough, yeah. Yeah, I'm leaving this job. I'm moving to Byron Bay. I'm <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's just but have a complete change, yeah. Yeah, Um, and it can be too, like going back to what we started with around values, going this isn't my gig. I, I'm causing myself stress and disharmony by trying to force myself to do these jobs and these tasks that I don't enjoy. So if we talk about businesses, for example, I will say to people, um, I, I don't like finances and doing accounting. And so I could spend hours trying to get it right where somebody who loves that yep. will take 15 minutes to do the thing that I'm taking three hours to do. So if you think about what that costs to the business, it's more cost effective for me to pay somebody to do it in 15 minutes than me taking three hours to try and resolve that thing and putting it off and making it worse because I absolutely hate it. So really focus on the things that you do well Mm. and try to do more of that and less of the things that don't create value, whether it be for your organisation or yourself. Yeah, and I know that we worked a lot around, Barbara, that quadrant, you know, that quadrant with what you love and what you're good at and what and so there's four different boxes. The top is what you love and what you're good at and that bottom box is what you hate and you don't want to do. Yeah. Um, and then there's like the in-betweens where you might be good at it but you don't like it. Um, and then I can't remember what the other one is. What's the other one? Do you in the – So there was um, the ease and impact I think you're thinking about. Mm. And so the things that come really easy – um, and the things that are really hard, yeah, or mm. it could be, um, and so, yeah, so there's the things that it, uh, if it's easy work and um, it doesn't take much effort to do it, then, sorry, if it's if it has a, um, it's easy to do and it has a big result, a big outcome, mm. you want to be, be doing more of that stuff. And that stuff typically is what you're good at. They're the things that that you, that are easy to do. The things that are um, uh, easy to do but take, uh, but sorry, that are hard to do. I have to really think to <laughs> get my wrap yeah. Hard to do, um, but it's worth it. They're the things that you want to share the load and have someone help you to do it. Yeah. 
And then sometimes those things may not be things that you enjoy, but you can share that with somebody else. Yeah. And and when you're in a team environment, chances are you're going to be surrounded. And as you said, you you attract people that have fulfill your need. So chances yeah. are that you're going to have people around you that are so good at that. And all they want to do is that thing. So yeah. really get to know your team, work out what they love, work out what their strengths are and utilize it. You're not a lot of people in our sector, Barbara, they feel like when they do that, they're using people. But yeah. it brings those people so much joy to, yes. to be in that state and doing that thing. Yeah, totally. And if I can use the example of I'm thinking about the early childhood spaces, right? So if I've got a team of people and I needed somebody to go and sort out the toy boxes over there, so put all the cars in one box and all the sandpit toys in another box because they've all mixed up together and I need somebody else to go and do um, a little um, role play game activity with the kids to keep them entertained and somebody else to do lunch, rest assured if I put the if I put somebody in to do sorting the toys and they keep playing with the kids and the person that's trying to do the gaming activity is trying to get the instructions right first before they do it, I've got the wrong people in the wrong job, right? Mm. The person that's loving the detail and the instruction and the process should be sorting out the toy box. The person who's getting distracted talking to the kids needs to be doing the game. Oh, let's get in there and get, don't worry about the rules. Let's just play. Let's mm. go and do it. Um, and then there'll be somebody else, yeah, who loves the cooking, right, and and doing the cooking and meal preparation because that's their thing. And they'll keep ducking in. If I'm getting them to organise the toys, I'll keep ducking into the kitchen going, do you need a hand? Exactly. You're the one that wants to go and do, do, do all the jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So it's making, yeah, exactly that, finding the right person who who loves that thing it just makes sense to to they will get so much reward and pleasure and enjoyment mm. they'll spend too much time doing it because I love it yeah <laughs> absolutely and I find that what happens is people can feel really bad because someone's doing one thing but if they love that one thing let them do what they love <laughs> yeah that's totally it um and know too where the distractions will be when when they're doing something that's slightly different. So to give you an example, when I was working with an entrepreneur, um, he actually he knew me really well and he was good at identifying traits with his team. He would say to me, prepare, prepare the presentation, but don't get bogged down in the detail, please. Right? Mm. We just have to be able to communicate the ideas to these executives don't get bogged down in all the detail just give them an overarching scope of it because my personality trait is going oh and this is all the information and the research behind it and here's the steps and here's the budget and here's the that I'm going to get all that ready um, rather than just going here's the overarching philosophy of what we're doing yeah well it's just an introduction we'll get into the detail later yeah that's mm. right so mm. he had to to knowing me, he said, do not get bogged down in the detail. We mm. just need to get this out this afternoon. Yeah. Just get get it done. With the idea. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And isn't that so powerful when you know someone so well that you can, you you immediately or you, you know that intuition with what you need to communicate to them? Yeah, and that's where things like Personality Plus was a really big mm. game changer for me, reading that book, because it tells you, how to identify those traits in other people so that you know where their tendencies are going to be. So working with a team, that's what's going to be really, really important to get a feel for those personality styles um, and what kind of work they're going to be driven to do or how they like to communicate with you. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, and I love, so lots of proactive tips that you've given people, those routines, um, looking at those prioritization and where you're spending that energy. And I think the main message, Barbara, was around, um, you know, place a lot of emphasis on your why and your values. Mm -hmm. um, having those, you know, when you really align that why with your value, that's where the magic happens. There's, um, if anybody else, again, some another book is Start Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And if you're not a book reader, he does a really, really good TED Talk. Uh, again, another great TED Talk, um, which is about 
something about leaders in the title. But if you ter- if you search TED Talk and Simon Sinek, it'll come up. And mm. that's a really interesting one too. I often refer to that in terms of time management or leadership. Is that his Leaders um, Eat Last TED Talk? No. I haven't, oh, no, it's not yeah, that that's one. a great one too. Yeah, but this one is... Um, what what why great leaders instill action or something mm, like that mm. and it's really really powerful for not only for for business leaders but for individuals to understand what propels propels me into action yeah, yeah amazing so if there was one thing that you could leave with our listeners today one hot tip or something that really rocks your boat what message do you want to leave with them today um, focus on what brings you joy in in your life and um, be kind to yourself, which also means taking time for yourself as well. Absolutely. And where can everyone find you, Barbara? If you are at the Hinwood Institute, so you can go on my website. Otherwise, you can search Time Tamer and you will find me. I'm on, as you know, I'm on TikTok, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook and people are welcome to connect with me in any of those places as well. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. And I've been loving all your videos um, coming out. Um, great. So just little snippet videos. You're, yeah, you're amazing. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Um, and if any of you want to connect with Barbara, you can find her on all of those platforms um, and ask any questions. So she's really open to that. Um, but thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. And we look forward to catching you on next week's episode. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.